Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. Today is November 15th, 2022, and the time is 4.44. That's Pacific Standard Time, by the way, so it's about 2 in the morning uh, in uh, mainland Europe, or 1 in the morning in the UK. Today is going to be another packed day, just the Chinese curse is, uh, of living in interesting times has raised its ugly head and it likes what it sees. So we're going to go through four topics today. One is an FTX update. The second one is the tail wagging the dog. The third is about elections. And the fourth is about fiat market or TradFi market, public equities market volatility. And then I'll throw in a little a blip about uh, the, the, the Ukraine and events that may affect all of our lives. So the, back to the first one, the FTX update. Let's take the FTX, FTX situation and divide it into, into smaller pieces. There's a, a lovely uh, aphorism, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one piece at a time. And so FTX is an elephant, over 130 different legal entities and just a real, real mess of an organization chart or lack of organization chart in this case. But we can simplify it. We can really boil FTX, the whole environment, the whole, uh, the, the whole empire, former empire of Sam Bankman-Fried to four areas, really. Uh, FTX, Alameda, FTT, which was the FTX token, and something called Serum, which was a... Uh, a token that was related to a decentralized exchange, a DEX as they call it, basically serving or about to serve the same purpose as, as FTX did to Alameda. So what Sam had done historically is he created Alameda because he had a, a basically really good algo investing. And then he wanted to invest more efficiently in, on a good exchange. And he thought, to heck with it, I'm going to make my own exchange. Thus, FTX is born. FTX takes off like nobody, no one expected in less than four years. And so then we have, and Alameda's rocking too, and everything's going very, very well, all the way through the end of 2021. And keep in mind, uh, Sam started all this stuff right about the, the nadir, the low point of crypto winter, and uh, survived through all of that. So and was building most of, of what he was doing through all of that, Alameda in particular. Then he launches FTX and takes off in 2021. So now he's on top of the world, and then the market turns. The market turns basically in all of 2022. We have what I call somewhat flippantly the Bitcoin mini ice age, uh, both to distinguish it from crypto winter and because I don't think it's going to last as long, my personal opinion. And so FTX takes off. Alameda's got all these investments. Alameda's still trading, except suddenly the trading isn't going so well. It's very easy to make lots of money trading aggressively in a, in a crazy bull market. A little bit harder when the market turns. The market turned and Alameda lost money hand over fist but told nobody anything. So I did that for five months. And then you have Celsius, you have all the other issues with Terra and Luna and the ripple effect into 3AC, 3AOS Capital and Voyager, etc. And Sam rides into the rescue and Alameda rides to the rescue to save everybody. So people compare Sam to J.P. Morgan, who basically saved the United States economy from total collapse in the 1880s. 
And, oh, my God, he's great. He's great. Greatest thing since sliced bread, informal, but da 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 Still gets it to happen. And then suddenly the, the, the stories about him playing video games during calls with prospective investors comes out saying what a great, what a great CEO he is because he can play video games and not really pay attention to the rest of us. Well, that later turns out to be a small mistake. He did that during Sequoia's interview with him, due diligence interview, and Sequoia just wrote off its entire $250 million investment. And that same investment it had written up to, Sequoia had written it up to about uh, $4 billion. So they took a small hit on this whole arrangement. In any event, Alameda's in trouble. And it's rotting to the rescue of a whole bunch of other companies that are illiquid at best, insolvent at worst. The difference being, by the way, illiquid means you have money, but you can't get a hold of it. The classic example is someone who has lots of real estate. You can be a billionaire in real estate and actually have trouble making ends meet because you're not, that's not liquid. You can't sell a little piece of it. One of the arguments for tokenizing real estate, by the way, is liquidity. On the other hand, the person is hardly insolvent. He's a billionaire. But he is, the phrase is, in this case, real estate, real estate rich, but cash poor. People have said that a lot about land in general, land rich, cash poor, because land doesn't necessarily throw off that much, um, that much money, depending on what it's doing. In any event, here you have uh, Alameda that's made all kinds of investments. And now it's putting, promising to put in some cases and putting money into illiquid and arguably insolvent companies. It doesn't have the money. And nobody knows that because what Sam has done is taken about $8 billion worth of FTX assets that were actually owned by FTX clients out of nobody really knows how many at its peak, probably $18 billion on the exchange at the time, probably $9 billion. So yes, he took almost 90% of customer funds from FTX and gave it to Alameda. So Alameda, despite its horrible trading, and all the promises it, made, promises it made could stay solvent. So it does. he does that. Alameda's got all of, gets all this money. And then, essentially, there's a, a slate of hand. That money goes out someplace. And so nobody's really sure where it goes. Um, and it's secured, ends up being secured by FTT tokens. Now, FTT tokens are, are tokens for the FTX exchange which if you have a bunch of tokens, you can trade for a lower, uh, a lower commission. But the interesting thing about it is as FTX makes money, it buys the tokens and burns them, like buying shares and revoking the shares. They never exist. So there's appreciation built in to the FTT token as, F, as FTX does well. Well, what happened is that to sort of pay back FTX, uh, the Alameda bought, a lot of FTT tokens. And it actually didn't buy them on the open market. That would have driven the price up hugely. And anyone selling them, it would have the price down hugely. So there was simply a trade that was off the market or OTC, over the counter, as it said. And then where that money went in FTX's hands, to this day, no one is completely sure. So now you have FTX that bails out Alameda. Alameda essentially bails out FTX by having billions of FTT tokens. But the value of those FTT tokens is dependent upon the success of FTX. If this doesn't sound like a formula for success, that's probably because it isn't. The other interesting, that, interesting thing that happened is with Serum. 
Serum is a, a decentralized exchange. It also has a token, also called Serum, and that token was supposedly worth $6 billion on the balance sheet variously of FTX and Alameda. But here's the interesting thing that happens. Let's say I, I issue, create a million tokens and I sell one to somebody for $10, one token. That's the last trade of record. I market to market, so my million tokens that I just created and sold one of them, that's the only transaction that's ever taken place, they're technically worth $10 million. But of course, I sold one, I was a seller, I got my friend to buy it. There is no way I could sell those tokens for $10 million. Serum was largely the same. There's only a very small percentage of Serum tokens, something like 5%, that were ever traded. The 95% was held by, by FTX and by uh, Alameda, valued at almost $6 billion. The value in reality never was more than $100 million or so, the most optimistic you would get. But technically, by taking this illiquid token and expanding the, the amazing number that was held off of any exchange and never bought or sold ever and was never purchased, they were simply issued, created out of thin air, you had a, a, a very healthy balance sheet. But of course, since Serum is the decentralized balance sheet of FTX, which is a centralized exchange, a CEX or a SEX, you have everything that these four pockets of value, each of, which was, each of which was worth multiple billions of dollars, sometimes tens of billions of dollars, they're all interdependent. And as soon as one card in the house starts to get shaky, the entire house falls down. So what happens is Coindesk publishes an article that says, hey, uh, Alameda has all these FTT tokens. That's, what they're, that's what's securing all of their assets, their liquid assets. So then you have the head of Binance, a gentleman by the name of Changpeng Zhao. He comes out and says, I'm going to sell my half a billion FTT tokens. Now that brings down the price of FTT, which reduces the value of the collateral on Alameda's balance sheet, which means that FTX with this loan, quote unquote, it made to Alameda is not going to get its money back. Bring down, so it sinks the, the value of FTX. And this spiral begins as the entire house of cards collapses. And everyone who takes a look at the balance sheet comes walking in saying, hmm, maybe I'll pick up this great exchange FTX for a song, comes screaming out of the room going, oh my God, the hole is, is $6 billion, $8 billion, $9 billion deep. Even Kevin O'Leary of Shark Tank fame thought he would buy it. He figured that he could come up with $3, 4000000000 billion to save it. But then the SEC said, no, 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 we think there are some major issues here. And so one of the issues with buying FTX is how do you buy the exchange, which is reasonably good for a crypto exchange without picking up all the concomitant liabilities? And the answer is you can't. So the whole thing is collapsing. Now I go back to the two predictions I made last week. One, that Binance will buy FTX for zero or a negative amount. Had Remember, I, I used the example of Sam paying CZs, a, uh, paying for him to take FTX off his hands because it was so negative. Now, the example I used was 100 or $200 million, having no idea that the hole might be that big. So ultimately, Binance didn't buy it, so in that I was wrong. But the analysis that Sam would have to pay CZ 100% right. The day I made that, which is when this stuff was coming out, I would say it was a pretty decent prediction. 
the second pre uh, prediction was that FTX would end up renaming because FTX US because there's no way that uh, that CZ or anybody else would buy the FTX exchange overseas, you know, outside the U.S., and now the U.S. want to continue. Well, the thought was exactly right, but there was a technicality, and that is that everyone thought that FTX U.S. was completely independent from FTX International, and it turns out that's not the case. So everybody declared bankruptcy. FTX International in the Bahamas, and FTX U.S., and most of the other 130 companies in the U.S. So what you have is the, the biggest bankruptcy in the United States since Enron about 30 years ago. And irony of ironies, if you talk about crypto and fiat, because that's the purpose of this podcast, is explain how they're, they're not that different and how they're converging. A gentleman who is a senior attorney on the uh, liquidation of Enron right, which was basically a pyramid scheme and now looks more and more like FTX, that gentleman is now in charge of the liquidation of FTX. Absolutely stunning to me. 30 years later, first of all, the guy is, is around, still around. It's been misreported that he ran the, the Enron liquidation. He didn't. He was too young at the time, but he did have a, quite a senior role. Now he's unwinding FTX. So uh, the, the phrase, the more things change, the more they stay the same comes to mind. So enough about FTX. The biggest issue there is, have we seen all of the fallout yet? The answer is almost certainly no, but there are a number of funds that have gone uh, belly up already because of this. I can happily report that the three crypto funds I'm involved in have no, had and have no exposure to any of these things. So we're all doing just fine, except for the, the, the drop in the market. So we'll, we'll get through it, but it's been, uh, it's been really quite the episode. It would have been a lot worse if it happened prior to the Celsius Terra Luna effects or the disaster there, but people de-risked a lot. So I think crypto will ultimately do just fine, although it's taken, obviously, a massive hit. And that brings us to the second point, tail wagging the dog. I've talked a lot about correlation, and the correlation all really goes one way. What the, what the S&P does crypto will or will not follow. And that's the direction of the correlation. So it's how much is crypto correlated to the, to the S&P in the U.S.? And the correlation has been different. It was more to China before, but now it's really shifted to Eastern Standard Time in the U.S. And one of the fascinating things that happened on the 8th, just because of FTX, is rather than the S&P taking off and crypto following, Bitcoin following or whatever, or vice versa, or the opposite rather, going down and following. What you had was crypto getting crushed, although not crushed nearly as much as it would have been five, six, seven years ago, or as much as I saw, for instance, in 2013, when PBOC, the People's Bank of China, started its crackdown on crypto. But what you saw was that fiat markets, the S&P 500, dropped because of the FTX scandal. And if you think about it, the entire market cap of crypto now is less than $850 million, a billion dollars. And it used to be over $3 trillion, but, you know, welcome to mini ice age, as I call it. So here you have this market, which is really tiny, tiny, tiny. You've got the, the FX market, which is like $10 trillion that changes hand, every, hands every day. And this has a total market cap of $750, the, 
the trading volume can be as low as as $20 million. It can be just a- absolutely tiny. The, the volume over the last 24 hours was $86 million. So it, it doesn't even count, uh, to use a, a, a slightly off-color phrase, as a pimple on a gnat's ass. It's that small. Nevertheless, this tail wagged the dog. The S&P suffered because of the FTX news. Now, in a way, that's bad. Okay, FTX was down. We don't want to see, you know, don't want to see anybody suffering. But the amazing thing was it, it is really a coming of age of crypto. And, 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 you know, the, the news was bad, but as a different aphorism goes, there's no such thing as bad publicity. So, and I think, honestly, we will find that this is a watershed event for crypto. There will be more regulation, probably in the U.S. Mika was just passed. Mika is comprehensive legislation governing digital assets that was just passed a couple of weeks ago in Europe, I, for in the EU. I don't think there'll be anything new there in the United States. We'll get to the next question of elections, and I'll return back to that. But there will be more regulation in crypto, and strangely enough, the crypto folks, except for the serious, serious uh, libertarians, will welcome that uh, that regulation. And so will institutions. So that will allow, more regulation will allow institutions to move more confidently into the crypto space. Uh, So overall, I think this will turn into a watershed positive event. And from a trading standpoint, I also think this will, this signals capitulation. For those of you who aren't familiar with this, capitulation in a bear market, so when a market is going down, means everybody's given up. They've thrown in the towel if they're Unless they're saving their stock, which is where this all started for their grandchildren, they're just going to sell everything and get out. They've capitulated. They've collapsed. It's hopeless. Historically, when you have capitulation, is the absolute best time to buy. I'll still never forget, I lived in Russia on February when the the Oyo 9 crisis took place. On March 24th of, of 2009 was the absolute low of the Russian stock market. If anyone had suggested buying on that day, they would have been fired if they worked for anybody else. That was the best day to buy. When FTX happened, I had investors writing me going, is this existential for crypto? In other words, is the very existence of crypto threatened? I had some of the guys that work for me start pulling their assets off of uh, Gemini and other platforms that didn't have any issues because just they were afraid. The outflows from exchanges were the highest ever uh, the day after the, FX, uh, the FTX problem because there's a phrase in, 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 uh, in the crypto world, not your keys, not your coins. And a key, the public and private key, is how you control a wallet, a crypto wallet where tokens are held. And the idea is if somebody else has your keys and if you have your tokens on an exchange, it's the exchange that has the keys, you don't really have your tokens. So everybody's pulling those tokens off Decentralized finance, of course, where you hold on your tokens, um, or you have them governed by uh, a contract, where, which is totally transparent. You can see everything is taking off as a result of this. But you have this massive migration from exchanges to basically any place else where the uh, owner can actually control um, the tokens. And when all of this is going on, People are screaming, running for the doors, and I'm looking at this saying, this is capitulation. We have long-term crypto investors who are now running scared. That means it's time to buy. 
And on that day, you saw Bitcoin BTC break through 16,000 again. And keep in mind, that was a 25% drop. But given the, the scale of prior drops and what people thought would happen, it's actually not that bad. Um, uh, for ETH or Ethereum, it dropped, uh, it dropped much more than that. It dropped from 1,700 to almost down to 1,000. So it was uh, uh, almost 40%. But nevertheless, you, you, uh, it recovered, actually, has recovered significantly now. And to me, we may have one more dip down, but that's it. We, are, we effectively had capitulation. The markets effectively, crypto markets effectively capitulated. So we'll see. So there's my, there's my out on a limb for today, and that is we have seen, we have seen capitulation. So, the, and so, so then you get again to the, as I was saying, the tail wagging the dog. It amazes me how much attention is being paid to crypto now. And one of the rather strange silver linings of this very dark cloud is the fact that uh, it has allowed, it has allowed uh, crypto to really enter the mainstream. It, it really has become an asset class that people pay attention to. Third point, elections. And so I'll start out with what's better for crypto, Republicans or Democrats? Well, before Republicans became a personality cult, and now maybe that's changing a little bit with the results of the midterms, Republicans were for less regulation and Democrats generally for more regulation of business. So if you took the, the, the historical interpretation of the last, say, 80 years of the Republican Party, you end up with uh, being in a, thinking that, okay, it's better if Republicans win because they may pass crypto legislation, they may not, but they will be, it will be less onerous. And you don't want the Democrats to win because they will uh, pass something that's much more demanding. And who knows? I mean, that, that, that's my assessment of the situation, a bit of politics thrown in, but that's generally the, that quite consistently the historical consideration. Now you end up with what is probably going to be a very, very narrow a Republican majority in the House. So if you know, we don't know, they have to hit 218, they're at 215 now. So if two or three uh, Republicans you know, disagree with uh, the main body of Republicans, they're going to and vote for the Democrats, the, the majority is going to disappear. So a very, very tough situation for Kevin McCarthy, who just won his nomination, his party's nom nomination to become Speaker. And then, of course, on the Senate side, you have the Democrats have already uh, secured 50 seats, and if they win in Georgia, they'll have 51. Now, people may say, hey, it's got a majority either way, but there's a huge difference between 50 and 51 because Manchin and Sonoma can each hold the Democratic Party hostage for their votes, so you have to please them both. And even though they're, they're Democrats, they each hold some very significant opinions that are different from the majority of the Democratic Party, and, and you have to please both of them. With 51, you only have to please one of them uh, because the other one you can just let fly. You still have 50, and Kamala Harris can come in and, as the president of the Senate, break a tie. So the, the Democrats in the, in the Senate look to be a bit stronger than the Republicans in the House, but we'll see. In any event, the houses are divided, reaching across the aisle, mainly because the Democrats sit on one side of this aisle and the Republicans on another. So compromising is reaching across the aisle. Compromise will be hard, uh, basically because politics in the U.S. have become so polarized. There is with FTX though there is such it's such there's such a it's such a dramatic event that 
the Democrats and Republicans may actually reach across, across the island and decide to regulate crypto. But the, the areas that they'll have in common are probably going to be fairly narrow in terms of the approach. So I wouldn't expect something super devastating for the crypto space. Uh, and the nicest thing would be is if the CFTC, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission versus the SEC, ended up with uh, jurisdiction over crypto. First, because it would be more clear or the, 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 the jurisdiction would be clear. And secondly, the CFTC generally has been more favorable in terms of how it views crypto. So that's where the elections go for, for Republicans and Democrats. And it's amazing to me that I'm actually talking about such things, the balance of power in, the, in Congress in the United States as it directly affects crypto. But here we are. The fourth point is volatility in the fiat space. I just want to mention something that happened last week with respect to fiat. Talk about volatility and how difficult it is to predict where the market's going in a period of rising interest rates, China issues, uh, supply chain issues, uh, Kiev, uh, the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine, aftermath of COVID and everything else. Last week, Amazon's price went down. That means that it became, that meant that it became the first company in history to lose $1 trillion in market cap. Essentially, very round numbers. <laughs> it's like, you can, you can round some big numbers and there's still rounding error in this. Uh, Amazon's market cap essentially went from $2 million, or just under, to under one, sorry, $2 trillion, to under $1 trillion. Lost a trillion dollars in value over several months. Two days later, it was a Tuesday and a Thursday, two days later, Apple gained $190 billion in market cap in one day. So there's never been volatility, volatility like that, certainly in absolute terms because of inflation and other things. But even in percentage terms, we've never seen that kind of volatility of market-leading companies. Absolutely, absolutely insane. The last point is not directly related to crypto because we're going to talk about Poland. And yes, indeed, it's, is direct, it is related to crypto, just not super directly. Today, two missiles fired by Russia landed in Poland. Now, Russia uh, came out with a very, very strong disclaimer, but it, it's important to look at the, the actual wording, and they said they didn't target Poland. And actually, I suspect that's right. The, the Russians really don't want to uh, get NATO involved in their war in the, in the Ukraine, their invasion of the Ukraine, because, of course, Kiev, uh, U Ukraine is not part of NATO. But Poland is. And... It's just devastating what has happened here. It, will, it may turn out to be, strangely enough, an absolutely wonderful event for Ukraine, although my condolences to the families, of, of course, of the two Poles that were killed by these missiles. It indicates a number of things. One, Russia's running out of smart ammunitions. Smart ammunitions is when you fire something even tens of miles away, you fire at a small target, and it'll hit within a meter of it, more or less. Russia has fired all of its smart, virtually all of its smart ammunitions, at a tactical level anyway, at Ukraine. It's running out of smart ammunitions. It can't replace them because A, its manufacturing uh, cap capability isn't up to that. It's not on a wartime footing. And secondly, smart munitions need, need smart components, and the components are generally microchips 
and motherboards, and it cannot any longer import those microchips and motherboards. Russia is literally importing things like, like washing machines and taking the computer chips out of the washing machines and using it for weapons. So there's a, a movement now to extend some of the, uh, the uh, illegal objects or legal items to send to Russia because they can be repurposed in, in ways that were not, not anticipated when the original sanctions were, were passed. So uh, the reason I say this may prove positive for Ukraine is because immediately all the Baltic republics expressed their, their solidarity with Poland, which is almost a pun in Poland's case, if you remember its independence. The, this serves to bring all of NATO and the EU much closer together because for the first time, Russia inadvertently or advertently has damaged and killed nationals of an EU member and of a NATO member. This is, is uh, it could hardly be more serious unless Russia actually invaded uh, a NATO country. So Russia's going crazy, and you can believe they're doing the same thing that I'm about to do with you, and that is reading the NATO treaty. Signed in, in Washington in 49, 1949, it's actually a very simple short treaty, and I've looked at it before, and again, I, I, I remember when I looked at it last time, which is probably 15 years ago, saying, this is really, really simple. Now, everyone talks about Article 5 in the NATO treaty, to the extent you talk about it at all, which is the mutual defense section of it. And what it says is, and I won't read the whole thing, although it's quite short, is that other members of NATO will assist the party or parties so attacked, that is attacked by somebody, by taking forthwith, I love that word, individually and in concert with the other parties, such action as it deems necessary, including the use of armed force, to restore and maintain the security of the North Atlantic area. So a lot of people abbreviate Article 5 as saying an attack on one is attack on all, which is true, and everyone will respond militarily, which is not true. It'll take such action, it'll take, quote, such action as it deems necessary, unquote. Now, it can obviously it can include armed force to reply, but it doesn't have to. And the, this, is, uh, this is a retaliation to an attack. And there's a question as to whether an accidental event, even though it involves missiles, was actually an, at an attack. So NATO really is, has got some decisions to reach. But the one thing this is going to do, and it's going to help the Ukraine regardless, is this unifies NATO and unifies the EU even more than Putin's, Putin's invasion of, of Ukraine did. Putin thought, okay, the U.S. is divided, NATO is divided, the EU is all screwed up, I'm going to attack, they aren't going to do anything. And instead, he brought about his, brought about his nightmare scenario. He invaded in all the cracks and fissures that appeared in various alliances in very, various countries, got smaller, or in some cases disappeared completely. Even the Republicans and Democrats in the United States agreed that we absolutely have to help the Ukraine. Divisions in the EU, with the exception of Viktor Orban in Hungary, basically disappeared. And, the, and NATO also, suddenly it's expanding, although... Turkey is still holding Finland and Sweden hostage in terms of letting them in because of, uh, because of some issues with Kurds and the PKK. So that is Article 5. Poland has announced that it may invoke Article 4. Article 4, I will read in its entirety since only about 25 words. The parties will consult together whenever, in the opinion of any of them, the territorial integrity, political independence, and or security of any of the parties is threatened. Well, it makes sense. But even 
consulting, invoking formally Article 4 is a big deal. Poland is thinking about doing that. So we're a long way from Article 5. But when news of the missiles hitting Poland hit the airwaves, using an old phrase, uh, the NASDAQ, which was highly positive, up well over a percent all day, dropped almost a percent, and crypto dropped oh, probably a little bit more, probably about 5% looking at the, at the chart now. It's starting to recover, and NASDAQ started to recover a little bit at the end of the day, but the initial news had all markets dropping, hence the relationship to the trading markets today, because that attack or news of the attack was announced while markets uh, in the East Coast of the United States were still open. So there it is, uh, a long podcast this week, probably the longest we've ever, do ever done, because there is just so much news out there. Hope you enjoyed it. Speak to you soon.